Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, and the match that we'll be getting into today is 2011's The Hangover Part 2 versus 2000's Snatch. Keenan, I don't ask how you're doing today. Not a great one. Not a great one. No. Little, little we soldier on, don't we? We soldier on. We always do. We always come um, back to the fray. No Sean today. Um, also... No Sean next week, so I think it's fair to say he's not back, as he declared three weeks ago. Yeah, we'll just work on the basis of just you and I. Do you know, that's ultimately wasted now. Um, I actually prepared him. Do you know the Michael Jordan facts of the I'm back? No. Okay, so when he announced that he was returning to basketball, there's like a famous fax, and it's got like his... uh, company's name at the top is from his lawyer and it says uh basically michael jordan wants to express the following i'm back was the statement prepared sean one it's got movie madness in the top corner it's got my name down as his lawyer's name it's addressed from wimbledon so sean shoot would like to convey the following in regards to movie madness i'm back and he's not being back and he's not posted it so a waste of my time a waste of everyone's time now that you're having to hear this story because he hasn't posted it and just a it's real shame waste. all round. It's a huge waste of your time, to be honest. Yeah, a whole seven minutes that took. That would have taken me a lot longer. Yeah, but it's just the thought, isn't it? And he's just disrespecting us week in, week out. Hmm. But there we go. Um, With regards to the intro, probably something I should do off air, but we've had this discussion going on on air for the last couple of weeks. Would you like me to adjust it and say... Joined as always by my co-host Keenan Bonner, or we stick in as we are. That's up to you. Well, tune in next week to see how we open the show. I mean, um, at, this po- at this point, I am <laughs> more. Than, I am more than a feature. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard people refer to me as the A side, but joined as on. always. Hmm. Um, we'll start with a hangover part two. The synopsis. Two years after the bachelor party in Las Vegas, Phil, Stu, Alan and Doug jet to Thailand for Stu's wedding. Stu's plan for a subdued pre-wedding brunch, however, goes seriously awry. For people who are potentially new listeners, and thanks to Troy, he has put new listeners onto the podcast. Um, if you're perhaps believing we've picked Hangover 2 over the Hangover because of preference or anything like that, not the case. We did The Hangover as part of season one of Movie Madness, which you go back and find on Spotify, all of that business. Um, came second, if I'm not mistaken, Keenan. It was in the final of Superbad, wasn't it? Yes, sir. Yeah, so we got a big podcast on that and then several more talking about The Hangover. And due to that, it just didn't make a lot of sense to go over that again. Not like we're going to do a training day, but hey, look. Training day maybe deserves a round two from us because I feel it was slightly disrespected last time around. But the hangover to Keenan, same question I always ask you to start off with. <laughs> How do you think the critics felt about hangover part two? I reckon he gets slated. 
Yeah. Um, how did you feel about Hangover Part 2? Like, when you found out that this was confirmed? I liked it. I like, liked the idea. Yeah. I loved the first one. I remember we, like, the first one came out, what, 09? Yeah. So I think I, it was, like, when I had left school. Pretty sure it was, like, when I was breaking up for GCSEs, you know. Yeah, I swear it came out in the summer. I remember going to watch it at the cinema. Um, yeah, and I was excited for the second one. Yeah. Really um, excited. So they started development of this roughly two months before the official release of Hangover Part 1. Um, I think they'd had some test screenings. Obviously, they've kind of shown enough people where they can gauge it's not just people like blowing smoke up their ass like they know they've got a hit here. It's just a case of how much of a hit. So they start the development, they get the plot and the script and things in production. So it's not like it was rushed. I mean, it didn't take the same amount of time as went into the Hangover Part 1, but it never does in this thing because uh, time is of the essence, obviously. Um, Critics' reviews. A crueler, darker, raunchier carbon copy of the first instalment. The Hangover Part 2 lacks the element of surprise and most of the joy that helped make the original hit. For the most part, director Todd Phillips plays it safe and goes for the surefire box office hit. Not that fair? Sorry, Sarah, you broke up a little bit. Sorry. For the most part, they say Todd Phillips played it safe to ensure a box office hit. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I got a couple of questions about the safety of it, so I can come back okay. to you. Yeah, uh, I've never thought of it that way. The Hangover Part 2 answers this riddle. How can a movie be a doting copy of the original and have the complete opposite effect? <laughs> no. You know, I have missed some of these quite savage critics reviews because they've all been quite nice for the films that we've done for like the last year and a half yeah yeah, yeah they have been yeah you forget when it comes to comedies people just absolutely rinse them didn't they yeah and i think it provides an opportunity for some of these critics to feel like they're comedians when they get their reviews off like they feel they've just got more rain to yeah. slip a punchline in oh yeah absolutely they do uh because how many Big, big stars in their prime. There's no disrespect to anyone like Seth Rogen and stuff, but serious actors where they might, might get, excuse me, they might get insulted right. if you're if you're battering them. But yeah, you, comics sort of have to take it. That's the, yeah. you've got to wear your lumps, haven't you? Uh, a sluggish, pointless, and overly vulgar shot-for-shot copy of its far superior forebearer, though it's neither as clever or as tactful. I don't believe that these characters would ever be friends. I don't like spending time with them, and I do not care what happens to them, or their weddings, or their adoptive babies, or their relationship with Mike Tyson. Finally, what's missing is a huge part of what made the first film so good. The element of surprise. That probably does ring true, doesn't it, when you watch this again? Yeah, I, I think I expressed it the first time around, that as much as you went into the first film 
expecting to see a good film. I didn't feel it carried the weight of the expectation that certainly the sequel does going into this. Like mm. this, this to meet people's expectations, this couldn't be a good comedy. This had to be. This had to be like a generational yeah, comedy. It has to be like an all timer, didn't it? Like, yeah. Which is never going to happen. There's two ways. Um, there's there's two ways. Um, you look at that. I suppose it's a compliment to the first one, but then you like you know well like this like these were really short. You do sort of set yourself up to fail, don't you? Yeah. No, I don't know if this is um, like being overprotective. Todd Phillips insists this is the best of the trilogy. Nah, he knows that's not true. But <laughs> although, no, maybe 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 he does think that because he's he's really open about the fact that the third one was just a money grab but there's not many people who come out and say that but he's really ready and willing to, to say it yeah how, how do you feel about that because in the grand scheme it. of things yeah like if we were going into work and were able to say look it's all a big just it's all a big money grab i can turn some of my cash nobody is ever going to look at us strangely i guess mm. where the waters get muddied slightly is that it directly impacts us because you're expecting us to pay for the product. Uh, I don't even think it's that, mate. I think it's just famous people randomly get held to higher standard. Like, like you say, you'd be raging. People get raging over footballers saying it, like that I've gone for the money, or and, and that a lot of them obviously won't say it, even though you know it's true. Whereas if I walk into work tomorrow and someone's like, "Look, I don't know what you're wearing. I'm going to offer you another fifteen grand a year." <laughs> yeah, I felt weird. In the last week, almost feeling defensive for Dilly Ali, which is a sentence I never thought would leave my mouth. But like when I saw him getting caned on Talksport, a site that I do have muted, but still somehow appears um, in front of me. Oh, is this about the Rolls Royce? Yeah, and for what he was wearing onto the pitch at halftime of the FA Cup game, and it was like, I mean, if we're going to can Everton players for what they're wearing, you'd probably start with Calvert Lewin and Tom Davis, not Dilly Ali. And then oh, on so top of that, what was he getting slated? What was he getting slated for for what he was wearing? I think they were just saying, like, you know, standard talk sport, looked a fool, wasn't presentable. He had, like, the woolly hat on and overgrown coat. I don't, it's talk sport. The car thing was weird in itself. Like, is he supposed to trade it in for, like, a little, like, 305 just to impress Alan Brazil? Is always not the only, is always the only player rolling into Everton with, a, with an absolute red hot motor. Like, what do you what do you mean? Do you think like who, who, who the fuck do you think plays from? They aren't a League Two club that he's dropped down to. Well, thanks to anyone who plays in League Two, but let's be honest, they probably many of you rolling around in a ro- roles. Oh. But do you know what I mean? Like that Everton team, you think Pickford ain't ain't, ain't got a Bentley or like Joe something like that? <laughs> yeah, no, like, think Calvin, 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 I ain't got a Lamborghini stashed away, like rolling around somewhere. I don't. I, I, I don't understand it, man. It's not as though people don't know that football is their money. Do you know, it's weird, like, Todd Phillips directing this. I feel like, despite the fact it was, like, one sentence of trivia, I feel like I just know him far more by the fact that we know he was at those Molly Bloom poker games and just some mm. of the stories about the fact he's getting, like, noshed off in the car park before his films. And it's like, I watched The Hangover 2 and this makes so much sense that this is, like, your comedy. You are aware that like he just goes down, he goes down on a bed in his fit in like three different versions of his film. Yeah, films. yeah, but he loves it. Yeah, well, he chucks himself um, in the film just so he can show himself. 
<laughs> just show himself doing that. Um, I'm cautious that um, I'd say not on my part particularly, but it was quite a raunchy podcast last week, so I'm just cautious to not go down the same the same way. Maybe we can blame it on TK being a bad influence. What do you mean a raunchy podcast? Yeah, not raunchy. I, I was going to say smutty, and then I don't. I didn't really like the word leaving my mouth, so I switched to raunchy instead. In what respect? What are you complaining about now? I'm not complaining. I mean, we. Yeah, I mean, you've said you don't want it to happen again, Ergo. That's a complaint, Deckard. <laughs> well, I mean, the issue was it was me bringing the points up, but we were talking about uh, Jessica Chastain getting them out. Uh, the representation of women in westerns, uh, Jessica Alba, Emily Ratajkowski. Um, you asked that question, by the way. So I asked. That, I think all of you, those questions, but that's why that's, I was just that's thought, on you, big man, then, isn't it? Me and yeah, TK but asked, just willing to yeah, TK's not, your, He's not here to mind. defend himself. Oh, I'm just saying. So you, if I take this out, if you just say now, yeah, that was TK. I'm not going to do that. Find a way to warp your voice, maybe. Um, okay. All right, we'll go through some of the trivia and then we'll talk about the film uh, more as a whole. When filming the scene where Stu discovers the tattoo on his face, Bradley Cooper genuinely broke into laughter. Uh, Todd Phillips decided to keep that take in the film. He was supposed to be far more shocked and startled. I get that. Wouldn't you just burst out laughing if your man come through with a Mike Tyson tattoo? Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. Uh, in the original script, Alan was meant to have his beard shaved instead of his head. Zach Galifianakis refused. I don't blame him. No, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I did think when they have the reveal of his head shaved, I probably look a lot more like that when I have my head shaved rather than the Jason Statham look that I think I'm going for which is quite unfortunate because that's used as a punchline for him in this film. <laughs> I hope to not be one of those. Do you... I mean, how do I say this? You're about to how say there say isn't it? much... You're about to say you can't see how I would ever compare myself to Jason Statham. Is that the way you were going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to... Yeah, let's, say, let's phrase it like that because that's a lot polite than what I was going to say. Didn't turn up here to be disrespected today, but it seems that's all I'm good for. Well, like, come on, come on now. Well, if you there's, squint, no way, there's no way you think you're Statham. Even I've had I, two salads in the last three days. I don't think I'm Bradley Cooper. Do you know what I mean? I think it's the hair though that's the that's the game changer there. Yeah, but I've got you've not seen the banner recently, and I've got the long sweat back. I, I guess there may be eight shades on you, as I said last week, actually. I'm just saying, last last. And you were good to go. Yeah, so, so I was was compared to Bradley Cooper earlier. Not that other, but yeah, you don't see uh, me gunning you down. No, I I understand what you're saying. I'm just come on now. Um, we'll move on before you say something that uh, I feel really disrespected by. Yeah, it's coming. So yeah, let's 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 move on. Um, something that we covered kind of in full, we won't go through the whole story again on the, the first time around the podcast. Uh, to even consider making the film, Todd Phillips promised a percentage deal for the film to Galifianakis, Bradley Cooper and Ed Helms on top of their paychecks. And we know that was a big thing, wasn't it, going into the first film? 
Yeah. Um, it, uh, sorry, just I am losing a little bit. I'm basically it's fine. I think it's me. Um, what? Too quiet? No, no. I don't, I don't know if it's me or, or what, what what script is, but um, what I was going to say to you is, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, did, did Tom Phillips take points on this as well? Yes, he did. Yeah. You know um, what, what, what we're talking. No, I don't. I just know that he insisted that both he and the stars of the film received a cut on the percentage of this film to even consider making it. Good. I like that. And I, I guess he had them over a barrel as well. Like they can't really turn that down. I do. I do. I do really like. It. I like. I know he's, there's some stories, but they're not like the worst things in the world. Do, do you know what I mean? No, he seems like seems a good guy. If I had a choice between him and some very prominent directors to get on the podcast, I think we'd have a much better time sitting for two hours and having a chat with him. Yeah, no, I quite completely agree, actually. So Scorsese can, can consider this his rejection from the podcast. That's, that, yeah, come on now. I would, I would drop you like it was hot if it meant I could meet, uh, meet, meet um, Martin Scorsese. Have to pick me up first, and I guess you'd be dropping me pretty quickly. Um, the story of this film, at least behind the scenes, centers very strongly around what didn't make the cut. Um, there was big rumors that Bill Clinton was going to feature in this film. Uh, he had a cameo. He had a sorry. He had a visit to the set while he was in Bangkok, and he was pictured there. Uh, Mel Gibson was supposed to play the tattoo artist. But the idea was dropped because of protests from the cast and crew. I don't know if he'd had a recent scandal in 2011, 2010. You'd imagine probably, probably has. It's Mel Gibson. He's probably done something yeah. somewhere. So he was then replaced in that scene by Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson shoots the scene. Todd Phillips then isn't happy with it and asks to reshoot it. Liam Neeson is filming Wrath of the Titans. And so rather than stick with the scene that he has, he wants to change the tone or the direction of the scene. So they bring in uh, Nick Casavetes, who then replaces Liam Neeson in that scene. So he went for the content over the star power. Yeah, I get that. I, uh, I don't know if you recall this. Um, there was quite a serious incident with a stuntman on the set of this film. No, I don't recall that. So when they were filming the uh, taxi chase scene near Bangkok, um, yeah. The guy that was doubling for Ed Helms, uh, I think he had his head out of the window or something along those lines, and he actually had his head smash into a truck. He, he had a huge gash over the right side of his head. Flesh was torn from his skull, um, suffered critical brain damage and was put into a medically induced coma. Um, he was then in that coma for a month. He wow. came out of the coma and they actually used the shots of him just before the accident in the film. <laughs> um, is that the worst thing in the world? Well, I guess in his mind, he didn't do it for nothing. Like, if that shot ends up on the cutting room floor, that's probably more of an insult. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, I'm inclined to agree. I don't know how he is today, but the tribute I read didn't say not there was not any lasting damage but it didn't end in a somber note so i'm hoping mm. that's the case
Yeah, it wasn't a rest in peace thing. No. Um, Charlie Sheen was considered for a role in this film. Would you guess be that it was going to be a club owner instead of Brian Callan coming back? I love Brian Callan. I think this is where I like him most in both of these. But if if you were on the outside, would you assume that's where Charlie Sheen was going to slot in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That or they changed the police officer completely, but I don't see him in that role. No, no. I, I think he he just goes in, doesn't he? He probably goes in as the club owner. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, I assume you can recall the uh, lawsuit that went around the Mike Tyson tattoo on Stu's face. Uh, eventually was settled out of court. They don't know the exact figure, but I remember that being a big thing around the release of the film. Well, Tyson sued them. No, the tattoo artist that did Tyson's oh, right. tattoo. I was just saying, Tyson sued him. I remember reading in Tyson's book that he was pure, like Pierre Shuck, that he was, ended up being in the hangover. Yeah, wait. Um, the first one he did to like fund his habits, if I'm not mistaken, and then the second one, he just loved the reception he had for the first one, and so was more than happy mm. to get back involved. Yeah. He actually took months of singing lessons in preparation for the final scene. I'm not not gonna so not gonna comment on that. Is that a case of when a celebrity quite clearly has too much money and too much free time? Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I just said I'm not sure if that was spent wisely, you know. Unless he like goes into that scene and he's singing like Justin Timberlake, like no nobody is watching that scene and judging his level of singing. So whether he's above average or below average, slightly, nobody cares in that moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, very much. Like he, he would have been. It would have been better off if he was absolutely horrendous. Do you know what I mean? He's not. Yeah. He's not a great singer, but I mean, it's definitely worse than worse on film. Yeah, it's like that kind of year nine, ten phase where, like trying at anything was considered like an uncool thing to do um, mm. and that's the way Mike Tyson should have gone with this Like, unless you unless you were elite at it and then it was fine yeah or even like the people that were really smart and I wasn't one of them but you're almost judged for being people judged for being too smart at things <laughs> like it was a negative thing wild looking back strange isn't it um, couple of questions then should this film have been made should they have said, look, we've got a great thing here, we can't possibly top it, leaving it alone? Sorry, repeat yourself. Am I quiet, or is it like... I, I don't know what the issue is, sorry. I, I, I'm if sorry, I'm quiet, I'm I can turn myself up. No, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to like I can hear you when I can hear you. But I don't know how that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Just repeat the question for me. Should the film have been made? They shouldn't have said, no, we've got something too good here. We need to leave it. It's not. If this was, I don't even know how it translates. If this was a serious film, then yeah, maybe. But if you're going to make a, if you're going to make a, make a film and you make a comedy, why not make, why not make a sequel? 
I've wanted I, not so much now because characters have aged out, etc. But I was all in on the stepbrothers. They are technically haven't aged out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're old, <laughs> old, as, old as shit anyway. But I was all in on the stepbrothers. Stepbrothers too. I was all in on Superbad too. All in on Wedding Crashers too. Making comedy. Like I was all in on Anchorman too. Yeah, fair enough. It went to pop. But there <laughs> yeah, are I get what you say. There are some moments in it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for them. Because there is a theory among people in the film industry that like you should just never do a comedy sequel. Like it can never end well. Well, the proof seems to suggest that they're right. I I just think it's hard because I don't know, the same action scene like you can see the same sort of action scene or similar action scenes and it'll be fun, it'll be good and entertaining to watch over and over, right? But John Wick John Wick running through a building shooting fuck out of people happens in all three films. Yeah. And I still, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it every time. The same joke is the same joke. Do, do, do you know what I mean? And if the, the, uh, I suppose there's a difference between rewatching the same joke and trying to rehash the same joke. You hear what he's saying? I, no, I'm not explaining myself. No, I, I know what, I know what you're saying. It makes sense to me. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, they have With this issue here that they are quite literally rehashing the same joke. Yeah, whereas when I watch the first one, I still find the same joke funny. Or like when I watch Superbad, I still find the same joke funny. But would I would I want would I find a rehashed version of it in a different context? It's all they've done is just shifted the first one from Vegas to Bangkok. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. If if you um can avoid I, maybe the pretentious publication, I was looking at some of the reactions when this film first came out, and there's an article on Vanity Fair where they do a thing where they just do like 24 questions about the film, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, and the first question they say to the person who's just seen it is, what was the best moment of the Hangover Part 2 screening? And they say, right before the film started, when a friend of mine told me that his wife is pregnant. Question two, what was the worst moment of the Hangover Part 2 screening? Halfway through the film, when I realised that an innocent young life is going to be brought into a world where the Hangover Part 2 exists. Yeah, Ed. It's just fucking hyperbole, and it just annoys me. It's just then, like that's just being a prick for being a prick's sake. But I know the, I say a lot of stuff like that, but I wouldn't put it down in, in a public. The third question was, would the film have been better if Mel Gibson was in it? And they said no, but it would have given more of a target to deflect away from the criticism that is aimed at the film instead, rather than being able to just pin that on Mel Gibson. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. So I, I do. I do have a collection of the comparisons between the two films and I don't think even the biggest fan of The Hangover Part 2 is arguing that they aren't similar. No, no. So we literally start off with the it happened again Yeah. replica. Um, you've got Mike Tyson showing up in a longer cameo this time. Uh, you've got the roofie, well, yeah, the roofie equivalent this time. You've got the. What is he says it's muscle relaxer and ADHD medication. Oh, yeah. They do the. No, no, go out for one beer just the night before my wedding. Uh, I can't see how that could possibly go wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. You've got Kanye across the soundtrack again. This time we get monster and we get I wrote it down. Uh, 
Uh, I don't ran down. I can't find it. Um, there we go. Um, you've got the early flash forwards, flashback sounds, at the end. Was, was, this, was this, is this from you or is this just something you found? Sorry. What? Not, the comparisons? The, yeah, these ones you've so you, made or is these ones you found? I've some of them I wrote down myself and then some of them I literally read up on every scene that they replicated across both films. The kind of things are not ones to reference. That that was me. That was that was I pointed out. Oh, I was gonna say someone's levered that as a criticism. That's fucking ludicrous no. because no, it's, uh, when I think about it, Scorsese. Scorsese uses the same song in four films. Granted, it's one of my favourite songs ever, so it's never gonna play, but he does use Give Me Shelter in four films. Yeah, I'll have it down because me and Sean always reference um the best musical transitions of all times in films and i think we let, narrowed it down to um can't tell me nothing as they cruise into vegas in the hangover mm. part one and you're in the office baby uh, in trading day so that's, the, when, that's the right answer by the way yeah so just before they go to thailand in this one when you've got a monster playing in the airport it just triggered in my head it's immediately okay they've used kanye again for the same equivalent it's not as good a song uh no i agree can't tell me nothing is my favorite Kanye song. It's a great song. Um, then got the ending with look, the guy was just at the top of the building the entire time. This time he's in a lift. Um, getting back to the wedding at the last second, standing up to the person that's been sunning the person, whether it's the wife or the dad in this instance. Yeah. Um, I do also think the trope. And I guess the comparison that came to my head was 21 and over, although it's done in so many films, is I get they do in Harold and Kumar Christmas as well. Um, the standing up to the dad and then them being like, oh, this is all I ever wanted you to be wildly disrespectful to me. Um, it's just, I don't know why it's ever a thing. <laughs> like, there's got to be yeah. a better way to resolve the conflict in these films. Yeah, there are some where you think if I was speaking to my dad like now I'm 27, he'd be put he'd be putting hands on me. I'm on my way. <laughs> uh, Mr. Chow is naked again for like half of the film. I do, yeah, I I mean I'm glad that Ken Young is confident in his body, but if it's him or whoever that is, <laughs> but yeah, is that there's no is there a reason for him to get a cock out? No. Um, and I'm not the, the whole check your pockets like literally just a replica. It's but then at the same time, dare I say, if they'd gone completely the other way, we'd be saying, look, the first film was so successful for a reason. Why have you completely ignored that? Yeah, I think the outlier or the exception to the rule is 22 Jump Street. I think the way they approached that as a sequel, sensational. Yeah, really good. Doing like, that again, aren't we? It's, so. it's, yeah, it's the, it's the same thing. But the, like, look, it's so like break a, break a couple of fourth walls. And a wink and a nod, and people are like, yeah, it's sensational. But it, it is essentially the same fucking thing. They it's even the, make the same joke with a baby masturbating this time rather than a baby, uh, monkey rather than a baby. Like, literally every joke is replicated. You'll admit the monkey is the best side character, however. <laughs> I might go for the monk, to be honest. No, yeah, fair. Um, and then we even have Stu with a sex worker again this time. In fact, it, although... He's violated in this one, which is quite a dark thing. Like, 
either I watched it again after we did the podcast last year, and I'd forgotten that was a part of the film. And I remember texting CK like, "This is a wild like turn of events in this." Like, I, I, I think it's a bit tired, despite I'm about to do it with the. You wouldn't get away with that today, but I just don't know if we get that yeah, kind of thing used today? as comedy now. Well, the whole making a, well, I guess the making a joke out of a trans person would definitely be frowned far more. Do you Although, think the trans, I think the joke isn't quite that she, she I mean, it is, it is in a way because they're in Thailand, where trans culture has been far more accepted than it has been in the Western world for some, some time. Like, you go when you're in Thailand, the only people who bat an eyelid at trans people are foreigners. Do you know, it, it felt to me when I watched it, and I wrote this down, and I don't know the politically correct way to say this, so I'm just going to say it there. It looks like Todd Phillips had a napkin or something, and he wrote a joke down where he's put ladyboy or something like that, and that is the sole reason he's taking this film to Thailand. And I would not put that past him either. No, I think that's a bit reductive, though. I, I think he probably took it to fuck it, let's go to Thailand for six weeks. Well, I had a question for you on this. What's I think it? that happens a lot in films, you know. I often think, like, I was watching, uh, Joe, like, I watched Focus. Yeah. Not so long ago. They're like, they're like everywhere. They're randomly just popping up like Buenos Aires. Like, I just, and they don't really, like, they could be anywhere in the world, but they just go to Buenos Aires, one of the most beautiful places in the world. And they're just like, yeah, I should go to Buenos Aires for six weeks. Why, why, why on earth wouldn't you? Would it have been easier for them to go back to Vegas for this film, or would it have put more pressure on the film? This does a lot worse if they go back to Vegas straight I away. Think. Well, do you, they go, do you well, think that would have been the safe choice? Or make it more difficult. I think it's harder to go back to Vegas and to compare. Look at number three. Whilst also just genuinely not as good a film. It's also oh, I'm quite scared to rewatch that, to be honest. Because they're back in Vegas. John Goodman. Uh, yeah, I came out the cinema just feeling like, mm, don't know what I expected, but that wasn't it. Do you think it suffers from the Godfather? Uh, the, the Godfather theory. I mean, yeah, I didn't come out thinking it, it was a bad about. film. I mean, I'm sure one day we'll do a podcast on on it once we've run. Well, if we run out of films, we've done well, but this feels like something we'll get to at some stage. A criticism I have seen of this film, and I do think it's a fair one. Where do you stand on the fact that there is little to no character development in this? So, Obviously, the first film does well, but when you're doing a sequel, you have an opportunity to expand on the characters that you've built in the first one. Um, the way, even in the short introductions they have to the characters at the start of The Hangover 1, you still have a lot to build on. Like You have the kind of uh, compulsive desires of Alan in uh, the way that he can kind of pinpoint and work around certain things. I mean, you could even play into more of the fact that Bill literally steals from kids to go to Vegas in the first film. Like, you could do more with that. Just none of the characters are any different than they are at the beginning of the first film. And it's not like it's impossible to do that in comedies. If you're, You've probably got a similar audience for them. If you look at American Pie and the, the growth of Stifler from the first film to the last, or even from the first film to the second... 
it's possible to get more from the character while keeping them comedic. And it, I guess it helps that you can actually do more with a the story then rather than have to do the same thing all over again. Stiffer is your main comedic edge in um, American Pie, though. Yes, supposed to you, be the straight guy. Kev's supposed to be the glue. But when you but look at... They play Ameri- all of these as funny. When you look at American Pie 1, though, mm. it would have been very easy to just keep Stifler as a punchline guy and just have him, not in the background, but in the corner almost. Like, you wheel him in to make the jokes about Jim with his shirt off, scaring the chicks away. Or you wheel him back in just because you have the house parties at his house, so you go back to the mum jokes. But by the third film, you actually have like a somewhat emotional development within his character where he wants to make it right for Jim. He goes out and he makes it, puts himself in a comfortable position while still doing the stiffler things. And I guess with someone like Phil's character in particular... I just feel there's so much more you could do. And it's not like you've got a slouch. You've got Bradley Cooper. I think it's like, I think it probably ends up taking away from it, mate. Especially in this one. I don't know. This, I guess it's on him to make, it's on them to make it work. I think this wasn't, it wasn't written for that. I get what you're saying. You, no, but American, I, I prefer American Pie 2 to American Pie 1. And you're doing this a lot more with the characters. Like you're doing more with, you can get more, you get more out of Kevin in the second one. And this is a bloke who I think I could have acted that role. I mean, he'd have to shape me up a bit. But it's the most plain Jane role you can have. And they still manage to do more of him in a sequel. Oh, yeah. Don't react to I, me playing Kevin, but react to the general point there. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. You're tiring, not for you. Bro. I'm too tall for Kevin, aren't I? Yes, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that, that's my issue with it. It's your height. I think Tyra Reed would have had an easier job projecting me in the second film as well. Yeah, I would argue so. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I don't. I just think I don't think it. I'm not sure what you add. What what it adds is my thing. I just don't think this is the film for it. What well, if I ask you then? Do you like the second film? I like it more than most people. Like I'd happily sit and oh, happily sit and watch it. My heart just skipped a beat. Then. What do you mean? I thought you were about to say you like it more than the first. No, no. Like I like. You got it halfway than... through the sentence. No, no. I like it more than like the people who reviewed it. I. I just okay, take yeah, it I think that's for it is what for it is what it is. Do you know? Yeah, I think it's one of them where you almost convince yourself you enjoyed it less when you talk about it and that is the point of us doing this is to talk about the film but it's hard to talk about the film for an hour etc and not sound critical of it but one it's just because the first film was so great and without us just reeling off every punchline in the film I guess you can only look at what they did do and what they could have done differently yeah like there were certainly some quotables from the film Um, I'm not going to do an accent but Hollow City of Squalor was one of them where we were still in that time of every comedic uh, phrase was like a Facebook group that people would like at the time. Um, And I remember that one in particular, we had a sick night, bitches, which still gets said on like TV now in reference to this. I have said the phrase Bangkok has him now probably a million times. (laughs) Um, Part of the reason 
Todd Phillips said he wanted to make a second film, um, if we ignore the reasons that you said prior, is he said that it just felt a waste to only have a 10-minute cameo in the first film from Mr. Chow. Like, there was just so much more that you could base a film around with this guy. I agree. Like, I know you wouldn't get away with a lot of it now. But if you remember, Mr. Chow in 2009 was a like actual yes. sensation. Do you think they could have got more from him in this film? Do you think it's a waste, perhaps, that you essentially put him in an icebox for half the film? Yeah, probably. Like, you could bring him to the monastery. You could bring him around and have the thing of, look, this is the guy who knows Bangkok. He can help us find what we're looking for. But yeah, they kind of tuck him away in the sense of, no, we've got the wolf pack. This is what people want to see. When I saw the review calling it safe, I don't necessarily agree fully, but it feels like they had a very clear idea of, this is what people want. I'm going to give them exactly that and not risk upsetting them, which I think in turn did the opposite. Yeah, I, I'd say I, it's, it's, it's easy to say now, though, isn't it? Yeah, because... I realise this, this is our whole, this is sort of what we do. I was going to say job, but it's not a job. This is our whole hobby is to critique. Is to critique do films, you remember but... people being negative about it after watching it? Because I don't remember, no. at least, no, I, I mean, Alex, we do the other podcast with, if he's listening to this, actually arranged almost like his birthday party around this and invited just about everyone we know except me, which he claims we weren't mates at the time. We, we definitely were. Um, but I'm seeing... you like that. I know. I, I know. Alex, we've never met, but that's sensational behaviour. I'm pretty sure he he certainly came to my birthday of this for the same age, so very disrespectful. Um, I don't remember anyone our age coming out of the film expressing disappointment. No, in comparison, sorry, I genuinely don't remember anyone being disappointed by this. No, and in comparison for hype, at least in this country, I remember people coming out of the In Betweeners movie two and being audibly disappointed. disappointed. Almost like I went with um, someone else, and we literally you do the what do you think of that then? And both of us were like, yeah, not great. That was it. I still have cringed looking back at the Archbishop of Banterbury, Bantasaurus Rex scene in that film. Like, I cringe even just thinking about that scene now. The Hangover 2, I go in that, I went in that on Tuesday night, I stuck that on. I knew I was going to be laughing for an hour and a half. I didn't, oh, this is going to be a slog. This, this isn't as good as The Hangover 1. No, no, I agree with you. And I don't, I think that was, that was pretty much it at the time. That was good. Not as good as number one, but I didn't, don't remember anyone crying. Oh, that was shit. That was shit. No. I like, like you say, in terms of hype, I remember this, this was like, this was an event, man. Yeah, definitely. Just one that I wasn't, invi- just one that I wasn't invited to. <laughs> um, uh, if we knew each other back then, I would have taken you. Yeah. Should we talk about our second film today? Shall we? Okay, so Snatch. Um unscrupulous boxing promoters, violent bookmakers, a Russian gangster, incompetent amateur robbers, and supposedly Jewish jewellers fight to track down a priceless stolen diamond. Now, 
Alex put his foot in it with a uh, comment he made on Monday's podcast. I made a snatch joke to you on Monday night as well, I believe. Um, you didn't take it as well as I'd have hoped. Um, it just wasn't a very good joke. Well, I was going to say, do we need to make a truce here that we aren't going to make snatch jokes, but I'm kind of limiting myself there more than you. Well, I don't know if you were going to make any. Of course I wasn't. I'm not a child. Okay. Um, consider this a virtual shaking of hands. Um but I won't be making any either. Um, what do you think the critics thought of this? I think it's did well. I'll take you through. From the, off the back of Lockstock, I think it's did okay. Snatch uses and abuses the template of its breakthrough predecessor, elevates it and delivers an equal, if not better, version of a film we've all seen before, yet much better the second time around. Richie's command of the visual medium is so skillful, his criminals so memorable, and his writing so undeniably entertaining that it's a wasted criticism to try and intellectually dissect his movies. So, we'll this podcast here, shall we? <laughs> That's yeah, it for the no, day. It's, it's not even that. Like, I don't know, we've always said it. I think we've always actually been like, its biggest advocates, obviously, because we're not listened to by millions of people. But like, in terms of in terms of advocates, for films for the sake of films and films to entertain. Yeah. I think you and I and T like sort of TK when we did series one and Jen Shu, we've always said a film can just be a film that's fun. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. need to be intellectually dissected or have a deeper meaning. Uh, sometimes sometimes people can just get a shot and it'd be like, oh that's fun. I I wish I could take you back now and just have you sit in one of our media lessons at school. Why? Just because your face when you see things like there's someone wearing white and people are putting their hands up like you know she's wearing white here to show that she's innocent and that's the reason they've got this in the film rather than she's just wearing white um, I, like, I understand that directors do there are choices that are made absolutely of course there are the way that you choose to dress people the way you choose to style someone it, the way they walk the way they talk that's, yeah that's absolutely fine but my point is not everything so I did no. English literature. English literature. Yeah, so not, ev- not every <laughs> not every sentence deserves an essay. No. Do you know? Sometimes sometimes a light bulb is just a light bulb. Yeah. It, it doesn't have a deeper meaning. And this film. Do, do you honestly believe after having watched this that this film has a deeper meaning other than someone's trying to rob a big ass diamond? I actually think there was some uh, there's a Ponzi scheme going on with this film, which I'll take you through with the trivia. Um, when Guy Ritchie told Brad Pitt that he'd be playing a boxer. Pitt was concerned because he'd just finished shooting Fight Club and didn't want to play the same type of role again. Uh, he ended up taking it anyway just because he wanted to work with Guy Ritchie so badly. Was Guy Ritchie really that in demand in 98? No. Um, effectively, Brad Pitt, was, Brad Pitt was one of, uh, I guess, it's harsh to say the few Americans, but he was one of the American actors, certainly that saw Lockstock and was just transfixed by it. Hmm. And he was just so won over by the film and the dialogue and the way it was shot. And when we did the reviews of Lockstock, people were referring to Guy Ritchie as like a visionary director for some of the techniques he was using, or just the fact that he was using them with reckless abandon. Like he had no worry about randomly putting in like a slow-mo or a fast-forward or like a cross-cut or something like that. And I think just... 
the reputation as somewhat of a maverick at the time certainly gave some appeal to Brad Pitt to work with him. Strange, isn't it? Slow-mo's and fucking, like, slow-mo's and... Yeah, I'm just using that as an example. No, I know. Just random. We read read the reviews and you were right. People would, like, love the way it's shot. And then you look at it now and, I don't again, it's, it's 25 going on 26 years old. Almost as old as you and I. And it's just, is that... There's, was it that revolutionary but it's just... these two films there's no in between by the way it's either this is shot incredibly i love the way it's so fast paced or the other review is just because he he's done some previously this is shot like a music video why am i watching this this is terrible um and so i, th- I think some people have made their mind up before they went into it because the budget yeah. here the budget here is six million now brad pitt in 2000 isn't brad pitt in 2022 but Six million. You've got to think. Brad Pitt is having to take a cut post Fight Club. Oh, for sure, mate. To do he's this film, a, so I love that. Jonah, I love it when you read things. He's done a Jonah in, in, uh, in Wolf, and he's just said, "Look, just take me, take me down, if, take me down, take me down a few pegs." That's that's so great when you read that, though. Right. Because I guess it ties in with what you've said about Hangover 3. As much as, as we said, we couldn't really blame um, Todd Phillips for calling it a money grab. It's nice to see the other side of it. Like, this is Brad Pitt going back on loan to like his boyhood club because they need a bit of helping out. Um, it's just good when you see the stories like that looking back because he had no need to do it and obviously just had a certain level of passion that this is a guy he wanted to work with and wanted to be able to tick that box. You get reeled in, like, as you get reeled in by stuff like this. It is still Brad Pitt. He's still done an awful lot at this point. Like, working for fucking, working for four weeks for a hundred grand or whatever it was at the time isn't, ain't killing him. The, do you know? Do you know? Like, yeah, the opening week in the US and Canada was 27,000. <laughs> yeah. But they didn't. So, like, Brad Pitt isn't doing this because he thinks it's going to be a big commercial success. Back home. No, I know. No, no, I know. I'm well aware. Like, I don't. When do you think? I wonder what the top-selling British film in America is. Genuine question. I, I don't, I don't know the answer, but I would, I would estimate that it is within the last fifteen years, whatever it is. Yeah, it's probably gonna be some kind of heist film, isn't it, or something like that. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm almost willing to bet Statham's in it. Yeah, probably. Um. So. Brad Pitt's character then and, and his uh, indecipherable speech, Guy Ritchie claims, was inspired by critics' complaints about the characters in Lockstock and American audiences not being able to understand them. So he says he decided to create a character that just nobody could understand. Now, on the other side of things, Brad Pitt says the reason his character speaks like this is because he couldn't master a London accent. So Guy Ritchie told him, to just garble his words like this and be a gypsy. So you got two different tales there. I think the second one's probably more realistic and Guy Ritchie was trying to sound more yeah. nuanced in the first one. I, I don't even think it's about nuance, mate. I think it was he saw an opportunity to sort of thumb his nose up at, Yeah, sorry that yeah that Jerry turn his nose up and thumb his nose at people and just thought, fuck it, I'll take it. And yeah, um, why wouldn't you? But I do think the American critic of um, 
box like scandalous, by the way, because it was just never in, it, it weren't intended for that. He makes yeah. he makes a short film that he shoves Steve, he chucks Stephen Graham in. Um, a short film he shoves Stephen that Stephen Graham's in in like ninety five. He obviously, he's made some music videos before. Then he does Lockstock, not intended to be a worldwide hit. That is made for British audiences only. And it really is like when when we rewatch it and when you stop and think about it, it is made for British audiences. Like even the pattern of speech, not not just the accents, but the the actual choice of words. A comparison I would use would be um, Mike Skinner when he released Fit But You Know It. That's never for Americans to be able to wrap their head around. Like everything about that song must just be so perplexing to them. But it's solely written with the thoughts of People in England are just going to love this. And they did. And they yeah. still do. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, as I said, Brad Pitt wanted to do it because he's a big fan of uh, Guy Ritchie. Um, when Vinny and Sol are sitting outside Bricktop's bookies about to give him the diamond, um, the man that approaches the car is not actually Minnie Jones as Bullet Tooth Tony. He didn't show up for filming that day because he was in jail for fighting the night before. So Guy Ritchie plucked the stunt double, a guy who looked enough like Vinnie Jones and had him in a passing shot because he thought he could get away with it. I've never noticed it. No, but we had stories like that on um, Lockstock as well, didn't we? Where I think Vinnie Jones missed the first day of shooting for the same reason. I think he beat up his next door neighbour, I think it was. The guy just liked to fight. I also that's a good or a bad thing, but he did just like a row. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess if you're Guy Ritchie, this is like um, like a manager signing at Balotelli, where it's like, look, you know what you're getting. You can't really complain <laughs> yeah. about it now. Yeah, when he let, when he lets fireworks off in the house, you know what you, you know what you're after. Yeah. Um, according to the DVD commentary, Guy Ritchie says that the dog was actually the most difficult to work with. Um, during the car scene with Vincent Soul and Tyrone, the dog was actually attacking Lenny James. And he was bitten in the crotch by the dog but didn't suffer any serious injury. And the dog had to be replaced after that incident. Yeah, that's not fun. You've got Brad Pitt on set. He's not acting up. And then you've got a dog ruining it for everyone. Wanting to be the star of the show. Yeah. Um, that's not great. After what we've said with budget, um, the producers couldn't afford enough extras for the boxing match sequences. So whenever a camera angle changed, the extras had to move around to create an impression of a crowded house. See, I think they've had a nightmare there. Because I genuinely think, do you, if you say to go walk out on the street and say, look, Brad Pitt's making a film. Yeah. Do you just want to come and stand inside for 10 minutes and watch him film a scene? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Yeah, it, uh, that's how I would have gone about it, unless you maybe don't want the heat. But yeah, save money. And they're probably going to be more into it, to be fair. It's not like it takes a lot of acting to look act rowdy when there's a fight going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could even have just saved money and just bought booze and given them some of that, enough to have them be rowdy, but also enough where you could just kick them out if they're causing a scene. Yeah. Jobs are good yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like... Yeah, I, I I'm not sure about that. I, I do think you could have, like if I was if I say if I'm I don't know where, where they where they filmed it, but if I'm walking around, come out, just got a coffee, whatever it might be. Brad Pitt's film, making a film. Do you want to have a look at it? Yeah, of course I do. So absolutely, absolutely I do. 
You've got Brad Pitt, obviously. Um, the role of Bricktop was actually offered to Sean Connery. Oh, Connery, he at least read the script, said he liked it, hadn't seen Lockstock in Two Smoking Barrels. They go almost like something out of like an Entourage episode <laughs> where Guy Ritchie and the guys around him set up a private screening with Sean Connery to mm. watch Lockstock. Uh, to, to watch, yeah, to watch Lockstock, sorry. Um, Connery watches... Looks like he's enjoying the film. Comes out and uh, says to the three or four of them as as a captive audience there, look, this is a good film. And then smiles and tells him, but there's no way you're going to be able to afford me. And then goes on his way, having had a private screening of uh, Lockstock, a good night, and no more work involved. Oh, he's done anything wrong there. Sure. They are just as good of a night hanging out with Sean Connery, Sean to be Connery. fair. Yeah. Everyone's a winner there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Imagine if he's like, yeah, yeah, boys, look, I'll send it to my agent. We'll send you an offer in the, in the morning. Then he turns back and he wants two mil out of your, out of your six mil budget. <laughs> and then it's, that is a waste, at least if he tells so, you straight, straight off. Those boxing scenes then are just like an old FIFA game where it's just the same guy regenerated for the entire crowd. Mm. Um. This this one was one of these that I kind of hope aren't true. Um, as he was playing a particularly scummy character, Brad Pitt says he made a point of rarely washing during the film's production. Yeah, he looks filthy throughout it, man. But like, the thing is, like, <laughs> like, the budget like, was that bad like, that you could put a bit of makeup on Brad Pitt. Like, does he need yeah, to be stinking out the old set? That ain't makeup. You just look at him, you just know he yeah, looks filthy. Grubby, yeah. <laughs> um, during the opening credits, the uh, Diamond Thieves are discussing the Virgin Mary as a reference to Reservoir Dogs, where yeah. the opening scene, the thieves are discussing the Madonna song, Like a Virgin. And uh, this was a phrase we've used frequently today, almost putting two fingers up to all of the reviews after the first of Lockstock saying that he was just a rip-off of Tarantino. Yeah, that's just timing, though, isn't it? I mean, Tarantino was accused of being a rip-off of, or has been accused of being a rip-off of just about everyone, so I'm sure he wouldn't take any offence yeah. to it. No, no. Um, and then, finally, when we're talking about the budget here, one million dollars was paid to Madonna to use the song Lucky Star in the scene before they all kind of crash into each other. Guy Ritchie is dating Madonna at the time. I was going to say, if you would like to talk about nepotism, here we are. One million in a film with a six million budget. Nepotism is not the right word, but you understand my principle. But don't oh, yeah, yeah. He made as much as Brad Pitt. Yeah. And she was able to have a wash. I mean, he's taken, he's taken the piss, aren't he? <laughs> if anything, like... If anything, if I'm rich, I'll just say, so look, we want to use it. I know this is your normal rate. Any chance you out, you man out. Yeah, you would hope so. But you just say, look, do it me for do it me for do it me for twenty five percent. I can go and shoot another scene or I can go and do something. Well like, there's no way you can get around this story without it sounding horrific. Like on the yeah. one hand, if he has gone home and he said, Look, can we use the song? She said no. That should be the end of it. He shouldn't then say, okay, we'll barter it. I'll give you one million for it. On the other hand, if he's gone home, 
and said, look, I'll offer you one million to use the song. And she's gone, yep, horrific on all their parts. And then anyone who had to kind of tick a box to sign this off, no one's got the minerals to say, look, you might like the song. We're not paying a million for it. Yeah. Go into the future. Look at the hot, look at the soundtrack they put together for Hot Tub Time Machine. That didn't cost a million. Get on with it. Exactly. Yeah, it's... It's a work. I mean, you know, we, we know what, you know what's happened there. Right. And it, it's fine. I just, just, yeah, I'm not, not a great fan of it. We know who's wearing the trousers there. And <laughs> it wasn't Guy Ritchie. No. Nah, that became obvious as time went on as well. He's going to set and play in the gangster while at home. <laughs> he's getting rolled up on. I was going to say he's getting that work. <laughs> Thoughts? Now, this is a hard question to answer, but I'll ask you it anyway. When you watch this film, does it feel like a film that's in the top 250 greatest movies of all time? Yeah, probably. Because according to IMDb, this is one of the greatest 250 movies of all time. Is it 250th? I'm about to tell you that. I was hoping you wouldn't ask me too quickly. It's 117. It's in the top 120 movies of all time. Well, it's a lot higher than I would have put it. It's... We've got a pretty good gauge here, and it works perfectly because we've done both on the podcast. It's one place below Scarface, and it's one place above 1917. I like it more than I like 1917. I don't, but I wouldn't be ranking them around each other anyway, so it's no real disrespect there. Other films, all right, I'm going to put you, I'm going to annoy you here. Yeah. It's nine spots ahead of Heat. Yeah, that's just fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that's just not even like, nah, that's not even fucking comparable. Yeah. 13 spaces ahead of Die Hard. Uh, I, I don't even like, did you say it's ahead of Die Hard? Yes, 20 spaces ahead of The Wolf of Wall Street. 25 ahead of Casino. 30 ahead of Raging Bull. I've never seen Raging Bull. Ooh, shocks me. Yeah, it Uh, shocks everyone when I say that, but I've just never seen it. 40 ahead of No Country for Old Men. 37 ahead of Shutter Island. Never seen Shutter Island. Someone ruined the ending for me, so I just never bothered to watch it. Yeah, that's annoying. About 60 plus spaces ahead of Kill Bill. Sorry, I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, I can keep going here. Uh, it's over 60. That's fucking scandalous. I know, again, I would never have had it at 117. I might have dropped no. it in 250. I would have dropped it in 250. Yeah, but it's. Uh, yeah, it's so much. Be imagine trying to compile a list like that if you were just a singular person. Ninety ahead of Catch Me If You Can. Ninety-five ahead of Gone Girl. I'm excited to rewatch Gone Girl. Yeah, so am I. I was speaking about it the other day. Yeah, I mean, we can keep going with this list, but yeah. it's ahead of a lot of good films. Essentially, the point we're making. Yeah, so there's some there's some rash stuff there. 
excuse me. Little, uh, quite good looking and seeing the comparison there. I've never really gone and done that. Um, also, <laughs> very infuriating if uh, you're particularly passionate about one of those films. Like, I should admit, if I'd led with that on the Heat podcast when you were fired up, that would have been a good you time to hit you with, I think. You wouldn't have wanted it. Your disrespect for our film so angers me to my core. Oh, I've not disrespected it. We did a three-hour podcast on it. Yeah, I, I because I, I wanted to. Was I passionate during the podcast? Not really. I was. Listen to it yeah. back. You know I don't listen back. Listen to it back. If I had told you the uh, Snatch rating, which is a wild statement, um, during that podcast, and I'd given you these IMDb uh, voters... You could have told them they had their heads all the way up it. Oh, disgraceful, man. I always don't understand what people think. Do you it's a lot stock? I'll go back and forth on this. I was hoping you'd say yes, because when we did Lockstock, you said you preferred Lockstock. Mm. I think uh, I do prefer Lockstock, but I have most recently watched Snatch. If... Why would you? Why did you hope you, I would say? You've not most Vegas. recently watched Lockstock, though. You hope you've watched yeah. Snatch for the podcast this week. Yeah, that's what I just said. Okay, I thought you said you watched Lockstock more recently. No, I just uh, said I most recently watched Snatch. Why did you hope I said that I would prefer Snatch? Well, because you said you preferred Lockstock when we did it, so I was going to bring that back to you. I always trying to catch me out, you sir. <laughs> yeah, disrespect. Yeah. I'm nothing but nice to you. Good thing you don't listen back to this podcast or you'd see you've not been nice. You said I didn't look like Jason Statham. That's not a criticism. <laughs> That's disrespectful. You should boost my ego a bit. There's boost in your ego and it's just flat out <laughs> lying to you. That's what you. That's what you telling me I look like Henry Cavill. We both know that ain't true. I told you you're a pair of shades away from Bradley Cooper. I'm a parasite from Bradley Cooper away if he just ate McDonald's for seven years. If Bradley <laughs> Cooper did supersize me for the 30 days, maybe. You've prevented me putting my moves on uh, Rosie Huntington Whiteley, so uh, you saved my blushes there. If this makes any sense to you, <laughs> my, comparison, <laughs> my comparison between Lockstock and Snatch um, I felt more emotional involvement in Lockstock. I felt the characters were easier to empathise with. Um, I thought they just felt more real mm-hmm. in the characters in this. And you've got characters in, across, caricatures across both films, but they really lean into that in Snatch. Um, mm-hmm. For me, in Snatch, I, I could never really buy into the consequence because I didn't have that feeling for the characters. Like I had the people that I liked and the people that I disliked. But at the same time, it was it was like me watching a film like uh, The Condemned, which also has Vinnie Jones in it, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I've not seen that, but is that where they travel to an island and they just... It's like, yeah, it was like Hunger Games on crack. Um, Unreal. Yeah, it's a perfectly enjoyable hour and a half. But it's one of those where you ultimately have no care in the world about who lives or who dies. There's one no, film just... where some woman's getting assaulted and you're like, ooh bit much hope someone breaks this up but that's basically it for the whole film um, with this i kind of felt the same like ultimately i wanted the main characters 
to survive and get away with it. But if half an hour into the film, Brick Topper just off Jason Statham, yeah, it wouldn't have changed much for me as long as the story kept going. Yeah, I, I, yeah, fair. And to round that off, I, th- I think I said it. I I do prefer if I was gonna next week put one of the two on, I would rather watch Snatch again than Lost Stock. I really don't know. Two weeks ago, I would have said Lockstock, no questions asked. I, I think, sorry, if I was going to put one on, I think I'd put Lockstock on, yeah, yeah, I agree. Whether it's my favourite one, I don't know. Yeah. When I think of uh, this film, I think of the uh, Skepta and Mike Lowry freestyle, I think I referenced this in the last one because they have several uh, samples from this of the... Uh, I don't erase the bodies, I create the bodies in I think he's been shot in the head or whatever the quote is. It's a shotgun. Um and so that was kind of I gave it a little nod when I heard the quote because it did I I paused the film and went back and listened to it. Um Met her on Monday, made love on the same day, because I think Craig David could be uh, your new Tinder buyer. Uh, if you were gonna I, go I, full I, skeptic. That that would be a, just a full on lie. <laughs> More of a Tuesday kind of guy. Yes, let's say that's what I'm referring to. What's your favourite scene in this film? Uh, oh, there's a couple. I love the first fight with Gorgeous George. Stay down, or you won't. You get him back up, and he just absolutely pegs it. Just puts that work on him, doesn't he? Um, brick to the brick top scene. Um. Very obviously gives it probably I'd probably say the most famous. no no it's not the most famous quote in this song but it is the best it's when they first go to the campsite it's also great um oh, a lot of like there's a lot of scenes I like in this film the robbery I think is brilliant um I don't really have a favourite scene mate to be honest it's just a lot of stuff I like um when they use um fucking in the bushes for the final fight scene he wastes his track. Yeah. Good use of that. I think more films should use that. It's pretty perfect uh, for that kind of scene. And yeah. I guess for all of the twists and turns in this film, I wouldn't necessarily say it's unpredictable. Like, I don't think you're expecting the dog to eat the diamonds, but at the same time, the way things play out, like, that we can't possibly get out of this and then the double cross that, well, not even a double cross, but the guy who you're least expecting it from has got a trick up his sleeve, etc. Yeah. It's it's doing the, 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 the travellers right. coming the travellers coming back at the end is, is pretty great as well. Yeah. And then the stupid policeman. You've got a lot of um, caricatures in this, but I think it works well. With we've mentioned Brad Pitt being in this. Um Benicio del Toro is quite a Kutov in a film like this as well, is he not? Yeah. Yeah, he's done the usual suspects at this point as well. So at this point, it's, it's probably a greater compliment than being given, like, if you're given the money by the studio to go out and get these guys, that's a compliment. If these guys are willing to work with you despite you not having the budget, that's got to be a compliment on another level. Of course it has. I know what Benicio was paid. Yeah, 
Oh, no, I, I think Benicio Del Toro is a great actor, but he ain't Brad Pitt. No, but he's also he's not Vinnie Jones either. Right. a big man along. All right, he's not Stephen Graham at this point. Well, disrespectful. It's um, not, but I also he don't. He's just taking actors that I love. I don't love Vinnie Jones as an actor, but you are right. Yeah, he, he's, he's. But it's just I wonder because you think the rest of them. Local in air quotes, do you know, like Stephen Graham, relative unknown, stay from yeah, Joe. So there's you can get away with it. Um, I just wonder, like Del Toro must have cost him a bit. You've got a pretty got a ship him over. I wonder what that conversation was like as well. Yeah, it's just, just crazy. You're not too active on social media, but I don't even know yeah. if you've seen the countless posts where it's like, uh. Oh, Stephen Graham, so underrated. And it's like, literally no one is underrating this guy. Everything you see about him is what an incredible actor he is. I don't know where this underrated thing came about. Like people saying Michael Carrick's underrated. It's on that level. I think there was a time where he certainly was. Yes, but when when the consensus is that you're underrated, you're no longer underrated because everyone is now rating you correctly. Yeah, yeah. Well, they might still be, they might still be underrated I don't think Stephen Graham's underrated now. No, no, they could still they could still be underrated. He might just be that good. Yeah. Um, do you want to get onto the judging? Yeah. Why not? Let me just uh, boot this up. I'll give you the choice here. Um, to what type of film do you want to judge this against? Uh, Comedy, uh, you'd assume, yeah? Uh, yes, I think so. I don't think we can reel off uh, Hangover 2 as a heist film. No, that's uh, the only other thing that came to mind. Yeah. Um, so I'll ask you first. Um, okay. Which film did you prefer? Snatch. I, I prefer The Hangover. Which do you think is more rewatchable? Um, probably The Hangover. I think it's just it's shorter and there's a lot less going on. I agree too. There's only a couple of minutes in it for the uh, duration uh, for the runtime, by the way. Really. It's not far longer than I watched it last night. Um, yeah, Snatch is one hour forty-four, and Hangover Two is around one one thirty-nine. Oh wow! Yeah, it did feel like a bit of a difference. The Hangover Two is a much. There's a lot less going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's an easy, easy, easy watch. Yeah. Easy watch. City. Um, best moment slash scene. The Mickey's fight. Which one? Probably, uh, probably the first one because like, it just makes me chuckle with Alfa. That whole, the whole, that whole thing going to the campsite, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, I'd go for the final one. To be honest, I think my second would be the waking up in the hotel room again. Um, but I'd probably go. I think the soundtrack is what tipped me over the edge. Uh, the scene with the know. the scene with the monkey, the monkey drug deal is also <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, that's just fun yeah, it's fun. very good. Uh, good soundtrack battle for this one. So we'll see how that goes. Um, best quote Rick Top's quote about the word nemesis 
See, I, while watching this, um, is the first time I think that I've really gone. That feels like Tarantino, and not even not in a critical way. Just the things before of your characters ending up in the same place at the end of a film feels like you're giving Tarantino a lot of credit for something which has happened before him and has happened after him, but just something that he's perfected. Yeah. This thing of the speech that is largely inconsequential, but just sounds very cool. Yeah. That was one where I was like, I, I, I would compare it, it, it to it, um, it, Christopher it Walken. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's say what again, Yeah, I, I, I thought of um, walking in true romance. Oh, mate, you could almost lift it out. It's almost the exact same. Yeah, and I thought the characters yeah. they're kind of all slightly older, but still commanding like that level yeah. of power. Everything that was the comparison that immediately sprung to mind. Yeah. Um, MVP. Um, oh, it's probably Mickey, right? His mum does get iced. Yeah, he's still living strong now. And he, he, yeah, he, I, just, he, he does, I, I just thought worth mentioning. Yeah, you said that with a very, very big glee in you. A bit, a bit too much glee in your voice. Yeah, I realise that after. Um, no, I was trying to compare it to the hangover scene, but, I mean, they... They didn't really succeed at anything in the hangover. Like they get back to the wedding, but they do crash yes. a boat whilst doing so. Yeah, the biggest victory they pull off in the hangover, outside of getting married, which they were doing before the film kind of kicks yeah. off, is um, standing up to the dad. That's like the biggest W they have, other than like yeah. not dying, not killing Chow is a pretty big one. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Well, not going to, not going to a Thai prison for murder is a is a big W. But I mean, like they're in the situation at that point. Like, no, no, they're not achieving anything else on top. I guess in snatch, um, whoever you pick is leaving. Several are leaving with more than they started with. I was going to say that for Mickey, but he doesn't. But he gets his vengeance, which kind of levels the scores. Hmm. So yes, I, I I would agree um, with the Mickey take. Which uh, best side character? I genuinely, I was really tempted to give it to the monkey, mate. I've got to be honest. <laughs> I'm going for the but, monks. <laughs> well, I will. I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it to Bricktop. Uh, the the grin from the monk when <coughs> in the in the scene with the uh, monkey having a tug. Is uh, that it secured for me? Um, laughs per minute. It's probably the hangover too. It's just a lot less serious, isn't it? Uh, best soundtrack. I'm going to say snatch. But I'll understand it if you say the hangover. No, I'm gonna say snatch. I prefer the music in the hangover, but I remember the soundtrack in Snatch more. Like I felt it added more to the film. And in the same way that I spoke about 
the use of the hangover in uh, the use of the soundtrack in the first hangover that's the way i would compare it if i was saying which one gave me more of that feeling mm. soundtrack in snatch i think does more for the film than what, <coughs> yeah. than what they do in uh, the hangover Yeah, I get what you're saying. I, for me, it's more... It's, it, it, the music in Snatch means more to me. Yeah. Um, which film is more original? Snatch. Yeah, I agree, although it's a rough it's a rough one for the two yeah, of them. Yeah, that was, that, that was the hesitation. But it is... It would be way, it would be wild of us to sit here and just have a 10-minute combo about it being a carbon copy and go, yeah, it's, it's way more original. Um, bigger impact is the next question um, whether you take this into account or not I could have mentioned it in the trivia um, after being released this was the highest grossing R rated comedy of all time it? yeah until at the time it was good for them yeah well it's just funny isn't it just, again it just shows what a, it's the James Bond effect isn't it well, yeah, you're not because people say when they see something like that and they're like, oh, but the film was rubbish. And it's like, well, you don't know that before you pay to see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that would be my pick, would be The Hangover. I mean, yeah, I Guy Ritchie had already cemented that. himself um, after Lockstock. Snatch certainly helped his reputation in that he wasn't a one hit wonder. But I don't, sort of yeah, I don't think it's where. I don't think it's one of them what? where you can look at it and say, Okay, we can judge the impact because Guy Ritchie wouldn't have been what he is without <laughs> Excuse me. Snatch. No, I, I agree with that. Hang over to. Um, best opening scene? Snatch. It's the hangover for me, but yeah, it's hangover for me. The ending is also a snatch, I can tell you that now. I, I agree with that one. The ending itself is phenomenal. Um, best chemistry. This got a bit of hangover, right? Those four, like you yeah. said, they based their decisions on how to make the film on the chemistry of not even those four, sorry, like Doug, um, on the on the chemistry of those three, and it was strong enough to carry it to being the highest fucking R-rated comedy at the time and make a third one out of it. So, yeah, um, so it's a six-four win for Snatch. Yeah, I get that. So that goes through uh, to the next round. Um, a close one. Um, one in which, I mean, I preferred the one film, but then as we've done, scorecards show it's not as simple as that. Um, there is. It is the return to form for the left-hand side of the bracket, however. Next week, then, before we bid you farewell, is Catch Me If You Can versus American Made. Never seen American Made all the way through. I I've have not seen it since watching it at the cinema, but I thoroughly enjoyed it at the cinema, so should be a good rewatch. After a very subdued pod this weekend, this week, so hopefully we'll be back a bit more lively. Oh, I've enjoyed this. I think uh, covered some good bases, better than I anticipated it being, to be honest. So I don't know what that says to the people listening but uh there we go thank you again for listening we'll be back next week goodbye